The goal is one and the same. It's just the means is very radically different and it's creating attention. The older people are condemning the culture. It's a mindset. One, we're going to change the culture. The other, we're going to be missionaries in a culture of a foreign land. What happens is people are not going to stay and fight, so they leave and either completely are removed from church or start another church and let the old one die. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. We're glad you've taken some time to join us. My name is Chris Weibel. We've all heard the phrase, growing pains. It's the necessary aching and discomfort a youngster experiences as their bodies grow and strengthen. It's also a phrase we use to describe the discomfort an organization goes through when things are changing, especially when the status quo involves looking back to better days and trying to recreate them. On this Level Paths podcast, the tension between nostalgia and mission. Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamlin are exploring how churches react when young blood and new ideas challenge the ways things have always been done. Can a church stay better focused on reaching people for Christ by using old traditions, new ideas, or both? Here's Rex. Welcome to the Level Paths Podcast. My name is Rex Howe. I'm the president of Tri-State Bible College. I'm here with my brother and my ministry partner at the Bible College and in the Appalachian Ministry Institute, Dr. Matt Shamblin. Matt, what's up today, brother? Man, I am back from sabbatical. I've got a lot going on. I am currently surrounded with books. I'm preparing a message for Sunday sermon. I've been in my office since really early this morning. And the truth of the matter is, I've not written a word, and I'm no closer to having that sermon finished that will be finished today than I was when I started. But that's the life of a pastor. The burden of the pastoral ministry, brother, you're in it. You're in the thick of it. And we had a pastoral networking fellowship this morning at the Bible College. Great to see 18 pastors here today. It was a wonderful time of fellowship. Uh, We'll have our next one on October 26th uh, on a Thursday morning at 9 a.m. We've got some uh, other events coming up here at the Bible College in conjunction with our institute. Our institute gives us an opportunity to offer access to some lay training or people who are already in ministry but not looking for a college degree through our programs. But we have a bivocational minister's family night coming up on September 18th. That'll be from 7.30 to 8.30 p.m., and it's for the family. It's for husbands and wives and for the kids. We'll have some games. We'll have dessert, coffee. Uh, I'm going to give a a short devotional on cultivating a missional culture in your family from the story of Priscilla and Aquila in the book of Acts. And then uh, Steve Wayne, pastor at Celebration Church in Huntington, is going to give a testimony of his own story as a bivocational pastor. So come out to that. We've also got, Matt, I love the name of this event, The Holler. The Holler is a youth ministry event that's coming up. The goal is to give some training uh, for those who are youth pastors, youth workers, volunteer youth leaders in their local churches, and students and parents. So the morning will be from 10 to noon. It'll be training just for the youth workers, the people who are leading the ministries, We'll break for lunch at noon. Students or parents are welcome to show up at that time and join us for lunch. 
And then in the afternoon, we'll have a combined training on evangelism and discipleship using key words. And I'll be leading that. Dr. Kyle Boone will be with us. He was on our podcast not long ago talking about rural youth ministry. And the board of Tri-State Bible College has pitched in and helped us to get a, a professional Christian musician to come for that day, which is phenomenal. His name's Isaac Pittman. Isaac and I go way back. He sang at our wedding. He's a phenomenal musician, and I'm very excited about the Holler Appalachian Youth Ministry Training Initiative. So that's on October 7th, Saturday from 10 to 3. And uh, we want to turn our attention now to an issue that Matt and I have thought about a little bit. We've we've mentioned this idea and we've kind of let it simmer a little bit on the back burner, as we say around here. The idea is the tension between nostalgia and evangelism or nostalgia and the Great Commission and the mission of the church and how those two things relate to each other, and particularly looking at those two issues in Appalachia. And Matt, there was an article that kind of stirred us a little bit on this recently. It came out from, from Russell Moore. Tell us a little bit about that article. So Russell Moore used to be the president of the uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he's now the editor of uh, Christianity Today. Now, I have to be forthright with you. There's things that Russell Moore and I would disagree on, the perspectives and approaches that we would disagree on. And to be completely honest, this is an article that I have not read in its entirety, because in order to read this, you have to sign up for The Atlantic, and it's an $80 subscription, and $80 is a pretty high price to read one article. But the title itself is enough to provoke thought. And often that's what happens. It's amazing how that works. But the title of this article is The American Evangelical Church in Crisis. There's only one way out. Evangelicals can have revival or nostalgia, but not both. As I said, I've read about two paragraphs of this article, but the idea is an idea that provoked quite a bit of thought. When you travel across Appalachia, we hear this again and again and again that the churches in Appalachia are not recovering, they're not exploding in growth post-COVID, but quite frankly, they weren't growing in leaps and bounds pre-COVID. And inside of these churches, there is an ongoing tension. And the result, the outcome of that tension too often is shrinking churches. So my wife and I, attended another church, a church where I'm not the pastor, attended another church while we were on sabbatical. And we would go to their early service and then travel home after that service. And as we did, that meant we were traveling past churches all across the community that were having their main worship hour. Their main gathering was during the time we were driving by. And my area is just dotted with churches, hundreds of churches. But the heartbreaking and eye-opening part of that commute was that in these small churches, there was one, two, three, four, five cars, but no more. In fact, we passed one church, and my wife said, what's going on here? I haven't seen anybody here in some time. And it was just within days that church was featured in the newspaper as closing within the same week. So there's a tension going on, and that tension really is a tension that I think is amplified in Appalachia, a tension between nostalgia and mission. 
But nostalgia often can cloud the role of mission. Let me give some of the statistics that you and I worked on prior to talking here and that let that kind of set the stage for the next phase of our conversation. So in West Virginia, and this is since 2020, I believe, uh, the population has decreased 3.2%. In Huntington, West Virginia, the decrease has been 2.3% since 2020. In Charleston, West Virginia, Charleston, West Virginia was at its peak population in 1960 with 85,796 people. Today, 48,000 people. In Kentucky, we looked at Ashland, Kentucky. Matt, that's where you are. Ashland at its peak was about 50,000 people. Today, 21,342 people, according to the last census that was given and what is expected to be the case in 2022. Going over the river to Ohio, Portsmouth has decreased in population 3.7%. Uh, according to the last census. In Ironton, Ohio, in 1950, there were 16,333 people. Today, 10,454 people, uh, a decrease of about 1.3% per year, according to what we saw. Now, the interesting thing here is that the U.S. population, the overall population of the USA, is increasing at a rate of 0.4%. And so the country is is growing, but Appalachia, especially in this north central Appalachian region where we are located, is in decline in every town and every place. And so that's important because as we talk about this tension of nostalgia and mission, this decline of population has an impact on that, doesn't it, Matt? It does. I think when we have to set the scene. We have to recognize that there are a lot of churches, and many of these churches in central Appalachia were planted during population booms, but that's not what we have now. What we have is not a population decline, but in many cases, a population freefall. The jobs aren't here, and so younger people are leaving. In some cases, it seems as though younger people are evacuating. And what remains is among the oldest population in the nation. So what happens in these churches is that they see their pews becoming increasingly more empty. There are less people attending their church. And in some cases, there may be less people numerically attending their church, and it may reflect, staggeringly enough, a larger percentage of the overall population. There's simply less people, and the people that are there are getting older rapidly. So what happens? Well, these churches react. They react. And there is a reaction that harkens back to a day of the glory years, and they do so ideologically. What I mean by that is they look at it like Mayberry. I love the Andy Griffith Show. I love the Andy Griffith Show. And I love the Andy Griffith Show because it's easy. It's Appalachian. It's funny. I'm reminded about the time watching this with my dad. But the truth of the matter is there never was a Mayberry. Mayberry was loosely based on Mount Airy, North Carolina, where Andy Griffith grew up. But Mount Airy is not Mayberry and Mayberry is not Mount Airy. 
And so when people look back, they look back at the glory years and they're ideological in their thinking. They look at them and they say, wait, everything was perfect then. And so with this older population, there is a digging in of the hills and a desire to just recreate the past. And so what we do in recreating the past is just do what we did then. Well, this creates a reaction. In the past, younger people would stay and fight. In the past, we heard of worship wars. There are no worship wars now. Younger people won't fight. They don't attend business meetings. They don't vote on things. They just leave. That's their voting. We're not going to fight over this. We're not going to have conflict over this. In general, I'm sure there are exceptions, but in general, if that church is going to be stuck in 1950 or stuck in 1980 or doing what we did in 1990 or, my goodness, 2010, then we're just going to leave. And so it's put these churches in an awkward situation because by the time they realize there is a need for change, it's too late. So in this article, and we'll use this as sort of a transition point, the article says, The number one question that younger evangelicals ask me is how to relate to their parents and mentors who want to talk about culture war politics and internet conspiracy theories instead of prayer or the Bible. These young people are committed to their Christian faith, but they feel despair and cynicism about the church's future. Almost none of them even call themselves evangelical anymore now that the label is confused with political categories. And so let's dive into this younger versus older mentality and tension a little bit. The mission is unclear, isn't it? What one group means by mission, what the other group means by mission are different and and the two are missing each other. Is that how you would say it? I think from the broadest means, the mission is the same, but it's how to carry out the mission and the terms in which they have been couched are radically different. Let me explain to you what I mean. I, I think that both older and younger Christians today, and I'm talking about those who believe the Bible, would say that the mission of the church is to disciple the nations. That's why it exists. Our goal is to see the nations worship Jesus, young and old. But in the past, The way that that was carried out, and it was done successfully. Now, when I say successfully, I'm using this in the lightest, broadest sense. It was done so in battling culture. So we're going to reach lost people, and the evidence of reaching lost people is that they're not going to do, and they're not going to be for certain things, okay? They're going to live this way. They're going to act this way. They're going to do those things. And so that's how we know we are succeeding in the culture, and it was the case in the past. I mean, let's be honest. I'm a graduate of Liberty University. Dr. Jerry Falwell was the founder of the moral majority. And look, I love Dr. Falwell. I love Dr. Jerry Falwell. He was not the man who was the caricature that was often portrayed. He was not that man. He was a local church pastor that desired to see people come to Jesus and loved people. The moral majority had a goal of electing a conservative president. The moral majority had a goal of speaking of morality in the culture. And just like that happens with anything, I think that there's some things that were amiss. When we look at this, the goal of younger people is to see lost people come to Jesus. 
But when they speak of it, not only are they repelled by the social terms, the the cultural wars, they speak in social, often speak in social justice type terms. Now, think of what happens when you have older conservative Christians hearing social justice terms. They're hearing it on the news and they're hearing it on radio and in the magazines. And those are the things that the people that they fought against their whole lives often say. Now, I'm not saying they mean the same thing. It's almost like both groups read the prophets, but they only hear one thing the prophets are saying. Because the prophets will talk about holiness, righteousness, sin, judgment, wickedness, so on and so forth in the culture. But they equally talk about the poor, the needy, those who have been suppressed or oppressed by violence and greed and power-hungry people. The prophets condemn and talk about both of those things and, and exalt both of the good qualities, holiness in one sense and mercy in the other sense. The prophets talk about all of that instead of just one or the other. And it's almost like we've got a culture that's split, older people wanting the holiness that once was in culture, younger people wanting to be merciful and and seek justice in culture, and, and the two aren't talking together. Yeah, I think the goal is one and the same. It's just the means, or maybe even what it looks like, once it's there, it's very radically different, and it's creating attention. And unfortunately, what's happening in these established churches is that if we can just brush all those things aside and see the goal, see the mission, it would draw us together. But we never get there because the older people are condemning the culture. And I'm not saying you should agree with the culture. I'm not saying that even the younger people, but it's a mindset. One, we're going to change the culture. The other we're going to be missionaries in a culture of a foreign land. And so what happens is decreasing population, already less people. We start to say those things and people are not going to stay and fight. So they leave and either completely are removed from church or start another church and let the old one die. Let's move towards solutions here. We've kind of sketched out the problem and let's talk about some possibilities. You gave an illustration to me about tools. And I want you to share that because we want to talk about now the contribution that each group can positively make in the gospel mission. My wife and I bought an old house in a community over from where we were serving. We couldn't afford a house in the community where we were serving. And so we went one community over and bought an old house. It was about 100 years old. We bought the house. One, it was all we could afford. Two, it was close to our place of service. Three, with the goal of remodeling the house. And so with every remodeling project, I would go buy new tools. And so I actually purchased quite a lot of tools. And at the time, this particular tool manufacturer came out with a whole line of battery-powered tools. They were wonderful tools. And I used those tools and actually became quite attached to one particular drill. And so this drill screwed in almost every screw in the drywall. This drill was often used to drill holes for insulation and on and on. And as time went on, this happened almost 20 years ago. As time went on, I've often looked at those tools. And now that same tool manufacturer has brought out a whole new line of tools. And my tools are not the fastest. They're not the most powerful. And as a matter of fact, 
couple of them, including my favorite drill, I've become quite attached to. I use that illustration because I'm thinking about the difference in the churches, and these churches had the same mission. Well, the goal of my drill was to screw in screws and to drill holes. That's the goal. And when we think about churches, the goal is to disciple the nations, to glorify God by discipling the nations. But what happens is the drill, the tool, becomes the most important thing, and it clouds the idea. You know, that drill, I told my wife, this drill is my friend. Because when I hold that drill in my hand, it fits like an old pair of socks or an old shoe. Because when I hold that drill in my hand, I can look at it and I can tell you where the scars came when I've dropped it. I can show you where the paint came from when it got it on there. On and on I can go. And that drill is very sentimental to me. But there's a day, and I used it yesterday, and I came to a realization, there's a day when that drill is going to be no more. But that doesn't mean that that I'm just going to stop working with my hands and I'm going to stop drilling in screws and holes. I'm going to need a new drill. And as a matter of fact, the new drill is going to help me accomplish the mission in a better way. You know, that's often what happens when we think about churches. Well, in the past, a particular ministry program was the way that we carried out whatever it was. A particular song was the way that we carried out worship. A particular instrument was how we led worship. A particular projection system even was how it went up on the screen. If there was a screen, we'd often use a hymnal. But the goal was what? Worship. The goal was mission. The goal was discipleship. The goal was education. The goal was not the projector. It wasn't the book. It wasn't the seat. It wasn't what was on the wall. The goal was glorifying God through making disciples, and that discipleship is reflected in the function of what the church does. Part of the problem here, using this to talk about the contributions that every group can make, is that there's a resistance to change. All of us in some area of life have a resistance to change. I did a survey of a church I was pastoring at one time called a Change Barrier Survey, That was in an Aubrey Malfer's book for church planning. I just photocopied it and shared it with the church at a before our annual meeting. And the number one barrier to change in that in that little church, and they were very honest about it, was status quo. The definition of status quo was we work hard to maintain status quo. And so we all have a resistance to change. The problem is that growth requires change. That's what is so revealing. We can't change for change's sake. But when we're growing, we're going to change. When we grow, we're not going to be the same person that we were last week, last year. There's no such thing as a healthy Christian that's stagnant in growth. That's how death takes place. And when the Lord Jesus Christ is making us into his image, when we're open to what God says in his word and we are receptive to the work of the spirit of God in our life, then he's going to conform us into the image of Christ. And we're going to, so that means we're going to be more like Jesus today and less like us than we were yesterday. So we're going to be constantly changing. We're going to be constantly becoming more like Jesus. And when we dig in our heels and just simply try to recreate the past or dig in our heels and simply just try to maintain the status quo, you know what status quo means? It means slow retreat. When we're trying to maintain the status quo, what we are actually doing is saying we're resistant to the work that God is doing in our life today. 
remember, if he was finished growing you here today, then he would take you home. And so growth equals change. So to get the kind of change that we want for our churches, we feel like the older Christians in our congregations and the younger Christians in our categories both have to contribute something. Uh, We need the contribution. And so what we don't want to be heard in this conversation is that we don't need one group or the other group or one group's obsolete or one group is too naive or, you know, whatever. What we need is the contributions of each group because both the experienced and the energetic, if I can use those sorts of phrases to describe it, the experienced and the energetic, we need contributions from both of those teams. And so the contribution of the experience, I think of Psalm 77, because that individual who pins those words has experienced the hardships of life. They've lived through the battles. You notice at verse 10 in Psalm 77, there is a transition where out of the suffering, out of the the psalmist says, I can't move on, I can't speak, I can't sleep, I can't eat, I can't sing, I can't think because of what's going on around me. But he transitions at verse 10 and he reaches back and he says, but I will remember the works of the Lord. I'll remember his mighty deeds. I'll remember his miraculous deeds. I'll remember his wondrous works. And he grabs hold of them and he specifically grabs hold of the Exodus and he pulls it into his experience. He pulls the promise of God into the present and he remembers that the way of the Lord was through the great waters, that the Lord troubled the Exodus generation's trouble. (laughs) And he led them through the great waters, which was the way forward. There was no going back. You got to go forward into this unfamiliar territory where the psalmist says the footprints of the Lord were unseen. And the Lord, instead of having his own footprints there, led them by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And so, like this psalmist, what the experienced generation can give to us is the contribution of this maturity that you see in this psalmist. When you look in the Old Testament, again and again, you see memorials, memorial stones. They're told to build these things. They're told to raise up memorials. Why? Because they point to the faithfulness of God in the past, and they are often a tangible reminder of the faithfulness of God today and the faithfulness of God in the future. If God is the God of the Bible, and he is, he is immutable, he is unchangeable. And every time we have a statement that God is faithful, it is a proclamation that the same God that worked the miracles in the past, he's the same that's working the miracles today and in the future. So what he did in the past, he'll do today. And I mean that in, it may may have been the great buildings. It may have been the great evangelistic push. It may have been the tangible sense of the presence of God. He's the same. Now, here's what we've got to realize. In the past, the United States and particularly Appalachia was a Christianized culture. We could argue, was it Christianized for cultural purposes on and on? But often, and even today, Appalachia exists with a Christianized verbiage and often elements of a Christianized culture, but that doesn't mean that it's a Christian culture or Christian verbiage. And so just because there may be that verbiage and there may be those elements of culture does not mean that they're evangelized and they know Jesus. And so our goal is not to get them to be cultural. Our goal is to get them to Jesus. Those are two very different things. 
And so what can happen is that faithfulness of God in the past can be a testimony and can be an encouragement to the faithfulness of God today. And so that brings us to the contribution of younger people. What contribution do they make? Well, younger people, whether it be sending their children to school or being adapt in the most recent technological trends, are going to bring the church to the reality of culture today. How is it that we confront? How is it that we relate? How is it that we communicate the gospel message to the culture today? There's just this New Testament example, and it's all over the place. We can find it in multiple places. We find it in Acts. We find it in, I think it's Galatians, where Paul confronts Peter. Uh, we find it in Hebrew, the message of Hebrews. And it's to this. We are not going back to the past. You cannot go back to the past. And Paul recognized this at a moment when Peter didn't. Peter made a decision to act like things were just as they always were before the resurrection of Jesus and before Pentecost. And Paul lets him know in no very certain terms, this is not how things are now. And his energy and his passion pushed the church of that time forward to embrace the mission even further. And we see this in Hebrew. This is the great exhortation of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Why would we go back? Let's go forward. And Matt, just to build on what you said, where we see sort of the convergence of the two groups, the experience and the energetic is, we need God. (laughs) We don't need that old drill. I mean, that old drill was fine. It was fine. But what we need and what we actually have is God. That's what we need. We need him. I have a new friend, and we still don't know each other very well. His name's Dr. Greg Liston. I met him while I was over in uh, Cambridge. He studies the Holy Spirit, and I study the Holy Spirit. and So we kind of had this thing in common. And he, he said this in a recent lecture, and I just want to read this quote from him. He said, the church has to act in the world in a way that's consistent with who the Spirit makes the church to be. And that's what we need from both groups. We need to be who the Spirit has made us to be, a people dependent on God. I remember in a class that I had on the book of Acts years ago, and the professor said, the more accurate title for the book of Acts is not the Acts of the Apostles, but rather the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Really, the tell of the book of Acts is not how the apostles took the gospel to the nations, but rather the pressing of the Holy Spirit to push the gospel to the nations. And we see this even reflected in the gospel presentation in the book of Acts. I mean, think about this. When we hear Peter preaching his Pentecostal sermon, he is preaching about the gospel of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers. But when we hear the Apostle Paul present the gospel, he's presenting the gospel, the same gospel, but doing it in a different way because there is a culture that has changed. They're now preaching to the Gentiles and not to the Jews. And here he's talking about the God who made the heavens and the earth. Well, if we're to paint in the broadest strokes, we could say that he is communicating the gospel in a culturally appropriate way way. And so when young people come into a church, they're confronting us with the reality. There's a new model of tools. The ones you're using, they may work. 
in that old day, but they're getting tired. They're confronting us with the reality that the world's changed. I remember serving in a church and hearing people, they would say this phrase, I'm so glad that I could come in out of the world. Well, what we've got to remember is that the gathering of the church is not an evangelistic gathering. That's not to say that there are not lost people there and we should not present the gospel. But the gathering of the church is the perfecting of the saints, is the preparing of the saints. So our gathering may be a time where we, quote, come in out of the world, but we're only coming in out of the world so we can go into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so whether we're old or young, what must be at the forefront is not doing things the way they've always been done or doing things the coolest way. What must be at the forefront is the mission to glorify God by reaching lost people and making disciples. That's what's got to be at the forefront of the existence of the church. And that changes everything. That means that rooms no longer can be used as storage rooms to keep old signs and and things that Popal made years ago. Those rooms need to be places that help us carry out our mission to see the nations glorify Jesus Christ. So, Rex, there's a tension, and I think both sides of the tension can lose sight of the goal of why we exist as a church in the first place. Yeah. We've uncovered some things that are very biblical. I think we've uncovered something as Appalachian Christians that we know, but we sometimes lose. And that is Appalachians know this, but sometimes we forget it. And that's that we need God. We need the spirit of God. And that's what we need most. What we don't need is a church building that acts as a, as a museum. We need the Spirit of God so that we use our church resources as a mission station, a preparing ground and then a going out and a, and a bringing in. And this is the life of the Spirit. He comes in and he sends us out and he comes in and he sends us out. And so, brother, it's been a wonderful conversation here today. I think that we have touched on the problem, but we've more importantly looked at some solutions. I had a church council president who would tell me, don't just bring problems, bring me some solutions with the problem. We've done that here today. There are contributions that the experience and the energetic bring to the mission, and we need them both. And this is a time to be on mission if there ever was. Appalachia needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to be about the mission more now than ever before. That's why we have this podcast. We're trying to be of some manner of help to those who are serving in Appalachia and also in encouragement. I'm reminded that the first time we hear the word church uttered from the lips of the Savior, he's telling the Apostle Peter, who will later be the Apostle Peter, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. As a pastor serving in ministry in Appalachia, we have to be reminded that we're not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior, and He's the one who promises to build His church. This podcast exists just to help folks who are serving in Appalachia better serve and help them understand, yep, the soil's tough, but this is the place to which God has called us. I want to encourage you, as you listen to the Level Paths podcast, to share it with somebody who may benefit from what you hear. And also, if you'll rate our podcast, it would be of incredible value because it helps raise the profile. It brings it to the top in search engines where people are serving in rural places. You know, we speak about specifically Appalachia, but a lot of the principles that we share here are principles that can be put into practice across rural America. So let me encourage you, take a moment 
and rate our podcast, and that helps raise the profile of the podcast, and it helps us reach more people with what we hope to be helpful. Culturally appropriate doesn't mean another gospel. It's quite possible that new ideas and new approaches might look like an affront to traditional evangelism. But we need to consider the possibility that a young, fresh approach might actually be more relevant to today's culture and still be biblically sound. If your ministry is wrestling with this issue, first of all, realize that you're not alone. And Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamlin are prepared to help you navigate this unfamiliar territory. Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute exist as a resource. And no matter what need you may have, Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamblin want you to reach out to them today. Rex Howe is the president of Tri-State Bible College. You can contact him by email at rex.howe at tsbc.edu. And you can reach out to Dr. Matt Shamblin at the Appalachian Ministry Institute by email, matt.shamblin at tsbc.edu. The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute.